My life is predominated by language. It's just this continual spin dryer of, of alphabet just tumbling in my head. And something about a dog just flushes all that away. It's just animal and animal. And yeah, you can talk all you like to a dog, but in the end you're just doing that Gary Larson blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. And you're, for all your intelligences, you know, for all the education that you've got, in the end you're going to have to try and decrypt this kind of strange animal that you've got in your life, and that's not a language thing either. That's about really closely observing and being very present and trying to just, yeah, unravel what you're seeing and, and try and anticipate how to best connect. This is David Astall. David makes cryptic crosswords for the newspaper. He also writes books and columns, and he presents a radio show. But David's not just clever. He's actually a kind of genius with language, with English. Which is why it's interesting that some of David's most treasured relationships are those he's had with dogs. This is a story about how a dog named Timmy became a huge part of David's family life even though they didn't share a language. I'm Michelle Ransom-Hughes, and this is Oh My Dog. About a dozen years ago, when his kids were still in primary school, David walked into the local animal shelter. We went along the lines of uh, enclosures. The first one was this manic, hairy, yippity sort of dog that I didn't quite know how to take. And then there was Tim sitting very composed, looking at me with those beautiful tadpole eyes. And I thought, you'll do. And I think he knew that I was looking for a dog that was um, just, you know, almost sitting back with a cigarillo in a banana lounge. I was looking for a dog that was just going to be really tranquil because our kids were young and we had lots of nieces and nephews who would be pulling his ears and his tail. I knew that, so I couldn't afford to get a dog that was um, twitchy. David had grown up with dogs, had a strong affinity with them. But his wife, Tracy, had a difficult history with dogs and their kids hadn't had pets at all. So I was the dog apostle. I was the one who convinced them to bring the dog into their life, the gospel according to the dog. And Tim came along and everyone was convinced because after a a rambunctious year of a one-year-old Labrador cross being a little more headstrong and uh, mischievous than uh, you could um, imagine, he then became our absolutely beloved family pet. 
for 10 years, 10 years plus. Timmy was our first love as a a family. (laughs) He was black with a a dash of white on his chest. And uh, to be honest, he was Labrador Cross 101. I think I have seen about 12 Timmies to a point that when we tied Timmy outside of a supermarket, we found him once not there. And we realised that another woman had taken Tim home. And in all honesty, she wasn't stealing the dog. She thought that her daughter had left their family dog. And we since saw that dog that was the match of Tim. That really underscored for us that we have just got ourselves a complete generic mutt. I love the fact that when you find a dog, it's almost like they they find you. I mean, I know that's a bit romantic and, you know, complete um, loony. But I do like the idea that they're selecting as well. And they're putting on their A-game when they see the family they want. On the records that came with Timmy from the shelter, it mentioned he'd already been adopted and then rejected by another family before David took him home. But could it have been Timmy who rejected them? The other thing that Tim knew, he was very, uh, very wise, was that I spent most of my hours at home as a writer. And he liked that idea. And also, I didn't realise at the time, but Tim was a great wordsmith. Why do you say that? Well, Tim had the, um, the sharpness and uh, the insight to be able to help draft numerous um, novels and uh, books and uh, clues because I'd always be trying out new column ideas or sentences on him. And Tim would just look at me and uh, tell me, you know, really quite uh, directly whether uh, things just didn't, uh, didn't sound right. He let the silences be their own critiques. And that's, that's really wise. Without trying to put in any of this sort of passive-aggressive behaviour or commentary, he just looked at me and said, you know it's got hairs on it. I don't need to tell you that. You go figure it out. But I'm here when you need me for the redraft. Tim spent so much time with David in his study over the years. He came to be known as the editor. As a writer, I was spending most of my time here at home... Kids were at school, Um, Tracy was working. So I found myself here at home, not alone. I had Tim and often we would, uh, chat's the wrong word. I would speak to him as though he was my listener, which he was. And his responses were usually just a um, presence. They say that the cure for loneliness is solitude, which I think is a really wise truism. But the other cure for loneliness is having a dog. Timmy was David's editor, but he was also the family dog. The fifth member of the Astor O'Shaughnessy family was a lab cross with an insatiable appetite and partial to making a bit of noise. Tim was a big wagger and Tim was also a big uh, tap dancer. When he was excited, uh, he would um, pretty much tell you through Morse code with his claws on the uh, wooden floor exactly what he wanted. And uh, usually it translated as food or walking and you each one had a different rhythm. 
he could be just as expressive with his tail. We live in a weatherboard house and Tim was smart enough to realise that there were certain boards in the house that had that perfect thunderous resonance um, with minimal effort. So it was just a couple of shrewd beats to, uh, you know, to those planks and suddenly action would happen or he'd get, he'd get roused at and uh, sent off to the garden, either or. I remember when uh, we first got Timmy, I was a little worried. We didn't really know what kind of behaviour to expect. And uh, I said to my Bosnian neighbour uh, on one side, look, we've just got a new dog and he might be a bit noisy. He might bark for a while and he goes, he's a dog, dogs bark. And I thought, gee, that's, that's right. But that same Bosnian who's no longer beside us uh, was very attached with Tim and would... Um, uh, inveigle him away off the property and sort of have him as his own dog for a little while. Uh, so I'd go out the front and suddenly the dog's not there. I thought, what's going on? And uh, the Steve, our neighbour, would say, oh, he found his way over here. If anyone had a, a, a sandwich, he was uh, open to negotiation. <laughs> the stomach was his uh, tyrant. And so consequently, he became very teachable, very tameable. But uh, that same appetite, you had to keep an eye out on because, uh, you know, as much as he loved his Vegemite toast, he would also eat a splattered possum uh, on the road if you looked the other way. And he would eat all the wild mushrooms um, that just popped up around our garden, and I'm sure most of them were not edible. He was tripping continually. Tim was uh, pretty much in his own little aerospace there, particularly in springtime, and to a point that uh, I think he, he believed himself to be a um, uh, possibly a Hungarian resistance fighter. But, uh, you know, he came back down eventually. Timmy's iron stomach was true to type for a Labrador. But love of water, another lab trait... Not so much. Tim hated water. Things like puddles scared the hell out of him. But he was a lab cross, and so it is with adopted dogs. They come with genetic and behavioural surprises. This is serendipity, spelled with an X. The first few months that we had Tim, we were on um, the farm of some friends and they had a, uh, a dam that was covered with thick green algae. And Tim went bounding towards that, thinking it was um, just, you know, part of a paddock and sank up to his, up to his flues. <laughs> so we, uh, I think that really shocked him. Now, he was panic-stricken and had to claw his way back to the bank and shook himself off, but... I think if he ever had any um, affinity with water, that pretty much uh, you know, shook it out of him. It was bloody funny, though. As well as this, the shelter suggested Tim's first family may have tormented the pup with water. I think they hosed him a lot, used a hose as a disciplinary tool. Every time there was a suggestion of water coming out, whether it was a hose, whether it was the clamshell pool, whether it was a bath, he would just go missing. Couldn't get out of there quick enough. Timmy definitely had his triggers, and being ignored was another. For several years, he became known as the Phantom Peer. That was his way of expressing jealousy or expressing resentment. He would, he would piss on something. 
and he'd do it in a real ninja way. Uh, he would just sneak up behind a person and um, just give them the <laughs> just give them the old furtive hose, <laughs> including a, a football coach's uh, wife, uh, who I was happened to be chatting with on the boundary line of the kids' football game. He just thought, you know, enough's enough. Come on. You know, the, the deal is you came to the football with me, not with this uh, glamazon, and uh, give me some attention here. <laughs> he got it. He got yeah. Again, again with these sort of eloquent silences or eloquent uh, body uh, functions. And by the same token, I, I do find something really quite calming in looking after a dog, including just looking after a dog's mess, because that also reminds you of this is what you signed up for. These are the, the fees of the love you get back in return. And there's something quite singular about uh, picking up a calcified turd in your garden. It's those sorts of incidental tasks that you have in your life where you often have your most inspired thoughts. And so the life of the family rolled on. And Timmy was there for it all. Tessa's show and tell, Finn's footy games, camping trips, birthdays, fates and dog park jaunts. He oversaw the publication of books, columns and crosswords, most of which he approved. He also ran and ran and ran and ran alongside David and Tracy, retrieved thousands of balls. Good boy, Timmy. Ate his weight so many times over, left black hair everywhere and was happy to photobomb any and all occasions. Tim liked to hold court on the uh, front porch. It gets most of the sun. It's, it's position A. So we set him up there with um, you know, a little dog sort of trampoline and a mat and uh, he could see the street, watch, uh, watch any cars or pedestrians or yap at any um, courier that would have the temerity to come into the property. Uh, or he did like uh, just hanging out close to you if you were involved in a task knowing that you were there, he was uh, beside you, and potentially that um, could turn into a walk or into a, into a snack at any moment. Tim lived up to his promise from the animal shelter, becoming an uber-relaxed family dog. He taught the kids they weren't the centre of the universe, but he didn't add drama to the house. Except when the sky filled with balloons. As it often would, especially in spring and summer, the house being under the flight path. When Timmy was scared of hot air balloons, I would just chastise him and, you know, in that uh, gentle kind of dog-man way, Relax, mate, relax. <laughs> it's just a balloon, it's just a bag of air. But the more I thought about it, the more I started to respect his terror. I think, well, I can, and a lot of people can be just scared of uh, things that loom large in your own imagination. 
things that are bigger than they really deserve to be. And that's enough to make you anxious. You start to associate those phantasms with um, your own, you know, inner foibles and deficits. And I know this is psychoanalyzing a, a Labrador, but I, I grew to love him more deeply for having that um, empathy with his phobia. He had a phobia. And it was very funny one day when uh, a balloon happened to land just at the local park. And Tim, for the first time, saw a balloon up close. A balloon on the ground. And of course, what does a dog do? It went up, as Tim did, and pissed on the basket. And I, I didn't begrudge him doing that. I thought, well, you know, if you can piddle on this thing that's terrifying you, maybe you can actually look at, look it in the eye and thinking, you know, hey, you know, I bested you there. I conquered. I am your, you know, your master. No, he's still terrified the next day. Absolutely spooked. Ten years passed since Timmy moved into the house. The paint's fading. The children are now young adults. Everyone in the family's changing. We knew that Tim was getting old because uh, balls didn't have the same magnetism as they used to. The uh, the grizzly snout started to come in. He was looking much more uh, uh, um, uh, an elder of his people, and uh, but he always maintained his uh, his dignity and his uh, affectionate nature. But when he was becoming too decrepit for running, and the day I had to leave him behind was a sad day for both of us. Um, not that he begrudged it. He kind of understood it. He didn't um, uh, go crazy. He just looked um, resigned to that. And that was a sad day. And in a way, when you have a dog that dies slowly, which Tim did, it's a bit like, um, you know, it's a bit like any relationship that just slowly wanes in its intensity. It just diminishes to a point that... um, you know, there's this kind of vanishing point that they're, um, they're entering. And for all the love that you give them, you, you know that you can't um, salvage them, you can't bring them back. Ideally, when Tim died, we all would have been there, all four of us, because all four of us were deeply connected to him. And um, it didn't happen that way. It happened that I was at home and thankfully Tracy could make it home from work because I told her that, you know, this is it. I just know it's it. And I could tell because he was... um, I still walked with him a lot, even though he was very fragile. Um, But he couldn't even walk a block without being in complete pain. On that day... David and Tim were out walking. When it was clear, Tim couldn't go any further. I more or less had to carry him back home. And I put him on the mat in the front porch. And he didn't budge from that mat, even though I put things in front of him. Food. He could not budge, did not want the food, lost his appetite, had lost his um, desire to, to be. Um... We used that mat as his stretcher, put him in the back of the station wagon 
drove into a vet. The vet looked and the vet knew immediately too. We signed papers. We, uh, both of us, Tracy and I, knelt down beside him as the vet administered this solution. <laughs> solution. And um, I remember that Tim, despite the fact he was so torpid and uh, so listless, just doing one final wag, just one single wag, and looking at us both. And um, then he sighed and we sobbed. And it was incredible to think that that hairy lump there on the floor meant so much to to us and to those who weren't in the room. The kids were equally upset when they got the news. Um, and my daughter, in fact, was overseas, which is the reason why we chose to have him cremated, because I wanted Tess to be part of his um, final farewell. Uh, but we drove home with that same sad green mat in the car. Um, no dog. Living in the house without Tim was uh, was like living in a um, living in a space that had a draft, and you didn't quite know where it was coming from. I was just sort of this cold, unnerving feeling that you would get and register on your skin. And um, we had his lead hanging off a doorknob for a while and sometimes I would just uh, tinkle the, uh, uh, the lead or tinkle the collar um, just to recreate the sound of him. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds so schmaltzy now, but it was almost like you had to let him go in your heart by, um, by degrees. You, you can't suddenly, you know, move on. You know, all these stages of grief um, quite rightly apply to a, a companion animal, you bet, um, because, you know, as the name suggests, they're a very important part of, um, you know, your life and memory. And we still haven't determined where to scatter those ashes. They're sitting in this little kind of picnic thermos in the room next door and uh, in a paper bag marked Timothy Astle, and, uh, which sounds like he was in trouble. I think the reason we haven't scattered his ashes is because he's right there in the room next door and kind of that's where he was for, you know, most of his life. He was just next door. Maybe we should just scatter him in the garden because that was a pretty happy place or that porch is due to be painted. It's a pretty parched house at the moment, so maybe we should just mix up the ashes with um, a new sort of blue... Um, <laughs> water-resistant uh, Dulux and just slap him on the boards. <laughs> a bit of a gritty finish on that, on that uh, uh, final coat. <laughs> Cat resistant. Yeah, that's right, it would be. The warmest of thanks to David Astle for bringing the story of Timmy to us. Oh My Dog is an Alongside Radio production. 
Original music and sound design are by Saya Vogel. Our special thanks to Dylan Ransom Hughes. If you've got feedback or ideas for next season, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at ohmydogpodcast.com. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hold on to